This is Sarah Reinhardt, and you're listening to The Catholic Foodie with Jeff Young and, if you're lucky, his wife Char. And this is Jeff Young, The Catholic Foodie at catholicfoodie.com, where food meets faith and... Oh, and Char Young. And Char Young. So we're lucky today. She is with us. And you're listening to episode 63 of The Catholic Foodie, Fasting for the Feast. We are so glad that you're here, that you're here and joining us today on The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Uh, you know, we're in Lent. Lent is an exciting time, actually. It's uh, a time of self-sacrifice, a time of penance, uh, which sometimes we think, you know, that's going to be, that's kind of depressing. Uh, but in actuality, we fast for the feast. We celebrate Lent for Easter. We don't celebrate Lent just because we don't like ourselves or <laughs> or we're burnt out on Mardi Gras or we're burnt out on Mardi Gras right Lent is for Easter so we're going to talk about Lent today and how that plays a part in our lives here at the Catholic Foodie where, where food, food meets, meets faith, faith. for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Uh, Rachel... Uh, who whose uh, who's handle whose internet handle is God and chocolate? So you gotta love, you gotta love that. She mm-hmm. made a comment on uh, the website. She said, "Thank you so much for posting this, meaning the the, the episode sixty two. Uh, I've been wanting to find a good resource for learning the basic techniques of cooking that didn't involve classes at the cooking school. Ruby is perfect for that." So I'm I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear that. And I, I certainly hope that lots of people take advantage of this wonderful opportunity uh, to get more skills in the kitchen. Skills. Skills. You know, like bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills, nunchuck skills, all those great Napoleon Dynamite skills. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, so... Thank you so much, Rachel, for that comment. I uh, certainly hope that you not only enjoy that free trial, but that you also will comment again and let us know how it's going for you. Hi, Jeff and Char. This is Sarah Reinhardt with SnoringScholar.com. And I was calling, I just listened to your last episode of Catholic Foodie about that guy with the cooking school. And yeah, embarrassingly enough, I um, called you and I know it begins with an R and I'm going to go sign up for it because, you know, I have publicly stated before I don't like to cook. And I have realized in the last couple of years, in fact, I've griped loudly about it that I didn't feel like I'd been equipped to run a household because, you know, I was going to be a career woman. I was never going to get married or have those little pesky kids. And um, then I converted to Catholicism, met my husband, and life changed. (laughs) So as I have attempted, and we live in the country, so there's no ordering pizza and having it arriving. So my struggle with cooking has so often been that the recipe needs adjusted. My husband has certain eating preferences and allergies in our family and these sorts of things, and I need to adjust recipes, and I don't always understand that lemon juice and white wine are sort of interchangeable or that you can make your own, um, what's that cheese? With, I, you can make another cottage cheese, oh, because it's an R. 
words with R apparently are my hang-up today. In any event, I really appreciated you sharing that interview and also that very generous 14-day trial because I'm so going to try that. And um, I'm really hoping, and I also wanted to make a book recommendation for all your other listeners, um, some of whom might just listen to drool like I do to your show. Um, a book I would recommend for all other reluctant cooks as I am, but enthusiastic eaters, is e- Leanne Eli, that's E-L-Y, it's called Saving Dinner. And she also has a book called Saving Dinner Basics that has helped me sort of learn some of the basics of cooking. And I do know that you can get like a general cookbook and um, read those things. But, you know, I've always had trouble, even when I watch Rachel Ray or any of those cooking shows, which I don't really like to watch TV, I have these issues of like... Like the interviewer said last week, like they have the small segments. I'm not good at sitting down. I'm a reader, but I don't necessarily like to read cookbooks, although I have loved John Thorne's work. So anyway, I've rambled on enough. I just wanted to thank you both wholeheartedly for both that offer you're having and for sharing that challenge of that recipes are sort of like a set of directions, and we don't have the skills to get there. I, It was like I no longer felt as stupid as I usually feel when I'm near a kitchen or near other people who cook. So maybe I do like to cook. And if you're the one who converts me, um, I don't know if you'll get stoned by members of my family or thanked, but hopefully it's thanked. When you brought the jambalaya over to my sister-in-law's, we were all like, oh, yeah, he can come over anytime. Uh Too bad we live a thousand miles away from you. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, and have a blessed Lent. Bye-bye. That is so funny. <laughs> what do you say funny, to that, John? Funny. Funny. I'm so glad that she will be able to, you know, learn something yeah. and be confident about it. I do too. Um, and get in the kitchen. She can do it. I think so. And I'm very excited because you got that, you know, somebody that we, I mean, not like intentionally, but just being who we are and loving to cook and loving food, it's, it's kind of rubbing off on her. Yeah. Isn't that great? It is. <laughs> so go, Sarah, go. Can't wait to hear more. Uh, by the way, uh, you may be hearing more of Sarah over here at the Catholic Foodie. I just want to uh, whet your appetite. I think you know she and I are talking about a few things, a few possibilities, and it's quite possible she may uh, she may be over here a little bit uh, on the Catholic Foodie. So uh, we'll tell you more about that next week. And uh, let's see, we have... Voice feedback here from Nick Padley. I, I know that, that you must know, must know Nick Padley from InBetweenSundays.com, which is, uh, he has a podcast, uh, In Between Sundays, along with his brother, Pat. And Nick sent this in. Hey, Jeff, this is Nick Padley returning your uh, voice feedback with another piece of voice feedback for the Catholic Foodie. So uh, thanks so much for calling in. We really appreciate your show and everything you're doing. Um, I know that uh, during Lent, I think your show is going to be a great asset to other people as they are looking for different things to do and different pieces of food to make. as they are continuing through the Lenten season and, and Lenten fasting. So I thought I'd give you a, a little bit of a, either a challenge or, or a, a, a show idea for you. Uh, I actually have kind of two of them. First, I think it would be really interesting to do a discussion about fish and uh, how f- the, the tradition of fish fits into Lent. I don't know if you've done this already, but if you have, I'm sorry, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to that show yet. And then maybe, uh, you know, what's your favorite type of fish? What, t- what type of fish do you really like cooking? Uh, and, and what would be a great 
type of fish to maybe eat on on Friday. Maybe something that that uh, you know maybe the fish that that would have been caught maybe back in Jesus's time. I don't know if there's any research beyond behind that. Second idea, uh, I just recently picked up a rice bowl calendar, and they have these great recipes from the third world areas that the money goes to that you can use to create recipes and and feed yourself. So one of the things I'm going to be doing this Lent is cooking up each one of these recipes every Friday. And I was wondering if you happen to have any other recipes that you've picked up over the years that you'd be able to pass on, or uh, if there's something that you and your family make every Friday to uh, kind of uh, celebrate more of a meager meal rather than uh, some you know, a larger meal that, that we would typically eat. So a couple of show ideas. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to hearing uh, some more of the Catholic foodie. Thanks a lot. God bless. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Uh, thank you very much uh, for the questions and for the, uh, for the, for the call, for the feedback. Uh, They're always multifaceted questions. I know, they send all these <laughs> so questions. Where do you start? Well, see, that's the thing. They're so they're so uh, smart and they're so creative that they just have all these ideas. You know, that's right. It's great. It is. I it wish is. I had all those ideas. <laughs> so, what you think, honey? Is is uh, let me try to, to well, remember to, some of the begin. questions. First, yeah. um, let's see. You're going to address the fish thing in a sec, right? Yeah. Okay. Before that, well, the I love the whole. Um, what do you call the the rice bowl? The rice bowl. The rice bowl um, recipes. Um, I I haven't no. I haven't actually. I have the rice bowl, but I haven't unwrapped the big poster this year. But I do remember last year's, and we had it up on the wall. The kids and I did, and they did have a lot of little recipes. And I thought, oh, we never really got around to trying. Many of them, uh, or actually any of them, but I know one is Mujadra oh, yeah. from last year, right, right. which is something we make all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Lebanese, well, it's Lebanese because I'm Lebanese. Right. It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's I guess it's, you know, common in Arabic countries, but it's a lentils and rice dish that um, we had, we had twice this week, actually, mm-hmm. just because, but um Anyway, I mean, there's we do that. There's a lot of those recipes from the Lebanese cookbook that I love. Um, and then this week we did, some friends and I did a soup exchange. And I made a carrot soup that was, I thought was really good. It was very good. Uh, I don't know if everyone liked it as much as I did, but it was great. And I, have, I stole a cookbook from my mom mm-hmm. that has a whole bunch of delicious and nutritious soups. Um, I could maybe share some of that on on the oh, blog. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I took it from her. It's actually a William Sonoma cookbook, and I've looked through it many times at her house, and never, you know, never cooked anything out of it personally. But I brought it home, and it has um, the carrot soup. It has a lot of other vegetarian soups, um, and I like eating soup on mm-hmm. meatless soups. You know, I do. Well, one of the things about that uh, carrot soup that was so uh, unique, besides the fact that it was a whole lot of work. <laughs> well, it was a whole lot of work because I tripled the recipe yeah. and I, I didn't have the right equipment. Right. Because I need a larger sieve because mm-hmm. it was very little and I did a <laughs> so many, <laughs> so much soup. But one of the things that I really liked about it was the salsa that you made that goes on top. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, the cilantro salsa, which was... Um, Really, just a lot, a, a whole head of salsa, 
salsa? I'm sorry, a whole head of cilantro. A whole bunch of cilantro. Yeah, yeah, a bunch. It's a bunch. An entire bunch. Right, right. Not just a whole bunch, <laughs> but an entire bunch mm-hmm. of of cilantro, and it was very large, uh, organic, and beautiful, with some roasted uh, peanuts mm-hmm. and jalapeno. And uh, just a squeeze of lime and a, a touch of salt. And I used our big, huge wooden, um, instead of using, using a mortar and pestle, I used my salad bowl because it was mm-hmm. such a large volume of um, salsa. So I just, you know, ground it up by hand and um, that went on top of the soup. It was very good. I mm-hmm. mean, Christopher didn't like it because it was green, but... But it was uh, it was really good, very very good stuff, and uh, that was uh, Friday. That was Friday night, right? That was Friday night because yep. I used vegetable um, bouillon, you know. It was very good, and then we had uh, we we did that soup exchange. We had a few other soups that we got, and uh, they've all been delicious. They've been good, every been good. single one. And we still have one more to try, and that's in the freezer, so we're saving that one. Uh, so that was really good. Uh, you know, Nick asked about the fish and uh, what kind of fish, like favorite fish uh, that that we have uh, to make during Lent. And, you know, I would say it's very popular down here in, in South Louisiana. I don't know about any place else, but catfish. Catfish is extremely popular. It's not expensive. It's mm-hmm. one of the, the cheapest fish you can get. Uh, but it's just good. And maybe it's because I grew up on it. Uh, whenever we had fish fries uh, at my um, at my Mom and daddies. Well, my my grandparents. Okay. Because <laughs> my grandparents, my grandfather, my mom's dad would always do. I mean, they he used to go fish with my uncle, and they would bring just ice chests full of fish back, and they would sit there on the back porch, and uh, scale the fish and fillet them, and uh, we would get ready. We just fry them up, and they would do French fries. They'd do hush puppies and. Uh, they did uh, another big favorite that happened every time we had a fish fry. They fried okra oh, in the same I in the love same fried same oil. You know, when they finish the fish, they do the okra, or maybe they did the okra first, then the fish. Probably. Anyway, it was. Uh, I just remember that it sticks out of my mind, and I used to love it, love it, love it. Not and the okra. No, not the okra. I never loved the okra, but uh, <laughs> I, I was forced to eat it sometimes. My mom used to force me to eat things. It was, it was terrible. I'm I'm traumatized from that, but. Uh, also down, I mean, uh, when the when the Knights of Columbus have their fish fries down here, it's always uh, catfish. Now we had catfish. I, mean, I think about it with my grandfather it was catfish, but they also had uh, brim. Oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah, we or to... or trout or not, was it trout? I don't know if it was trout, but they had brim, very small fish, bluegills. They used to call them that they'd catch in uh, in fry lakes and ponds. They would uh, yeah fry those whole, and I swallowed many a bone and you know choked almost choked on those as a, as a child. Uh, but anyway, it, it was very, very good. We would eat that in Sacolay. Sacolay. Very yeah. similar, if not it's the like, same, huh? Maybe so. I don't know. You, yeah, you fry the whole Sacolay thing. Sacolay and brim are you the same. You just score each side. Yeah. And then um, we'd, eat the, we'd eat the tail and the fins, too. Ooh, not me. That's us, you know? Not me. Y'all are just weird <laughs> like that. But, you know, they had, uh, we would always, you, you, you uh, uh, wash the fish off and then you... Dredge it, I guess. Huh? Dredge it. I'm going to talk about that. Dredge it in uh, a cornmeal 
that is mixed with uh, salt and pepper and also like red pepper and, and spices. And so it's, you know, Louisiana thing. It's, it's kind of spicy. Uh, not too much, but it's spicy. And you fry the fish in, you know, after it's been dredged in this, um, in this cornmeal. So it gives it a real nice, crispy outside. And then you got that soft, uh, hot, steamy hot uh, inside of the fish. It's really, really good. I like lots of lemon. Yes. Oh, man. Lemon is great. Lemon we is would great. take them out of the fryer, and then we would um, have slices of onion, like big, you know, large rings, mm-hmm. and uh, lemon slices, and just kind of lay that on it. Yeah. So it would get that flavor. That yummy flavor. Yeah, until you oh, eat it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, Brian in the chat room is asking, what are hush puppies? Uh, there were shoes called hush puppies when I was a kid. I'm assuming those aren't what you're talking about. Correct. We are not talking about frying shoes. Uh, hush puppies is basically... That would be uh, penance. Uh, again, all right, mm-hmm. that would be penance. It, it's like a cornmeal. Is that right? Kind of like a cornmeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually has like green onions in it. And uh, it's kind of a sweet, a sweet on the inside. It's, it's really kind of sweet. But you take this, I mean, it's got uh, egg in it and, and milk and the cornmeal, and it makes like almost a, I don't want to say a paste, but it's like a, a really wet dough, you know. And then you, you uh, scoop it into to balls and drop it into uh, hot oil and deep fry them. And uh, they are delicious. And some people, when they uh, eat hush puppies, they would uh, cut them in half and then put like a little pat of butter on each side, you know, and eat it with butter. But I grew up, once again, here I am growing up, I grew up eating hush puppies with ketchup. And I love ketchup, by the way. It's probably not a real foodie thing to love, but I love ketchup. My mom would, like, (laughs) give us the evil eye, would not allow us to use ketchup on anything she cooked. Because she thought it was an insult. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, I I used to eat, when my my dad used to do steaks, uh, like once a week. And I used to... I used to put ketchup on my ribeyes. Ah, oh, sin, uh, sin. You know, I, I eventually grew out of that. I got, you know, as I got older, I began to appreciate the taste, the actual taste of, of the steak, and and not having the to, dipping to drown it in, <laughs> in ketchup. You know, so I can really appreciate it today. I, I love steak just with a little butter, salt, and pepper. And uh, if I have it, a one, I do like a one because it gives a tang to it. Can I tell your secrets? Uh-oh, what is it? No, I mean, Jeff will go hide in the kitchen with the ketchup because he'll tell the kids no. No ketchup. Because I, I know that. I will get mad. Right. Char gets mad. But yeah. I go eat it. Just like my mama. So I'll go hide in the kitchen and so he'll, eat it. So he'll, yeah, he'll be in there. I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. Be quiet. <laughs> yep, that happens. Uh, but I, I don't want to, you know, I can be unhealthy, but not the uh, not the kids, right? That's up to you. Uh, yeah. So uh, that that's uh, what I what I like to do. I mean, the Knights of Columbus down here they do the catfish too. Uh, uh, fried catfish is what's usually on the menu uh, at these Lenten fish fries. Uh, but you know, in addition to catfish, another thing that we love to do because you can not only fry the catfish, we've also pan sautéed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually uh, baked it, yes. and, and catfish does not take long to cook at all. Right, not, not really. Not no fish does. <laughs> uh, no fish, right? But catfish is like uh, very. Um, it's a very soft kind of a fish. Right. You know, when you when you're fooling with the with the fillets, I mean, it's very, very soft. 
So uh, we do that. Also, we really like to do salmon, and we'll get a, uh, a slice. I don't know what you want to call it. What is it? Like a a slice of salmon, a piece of salmon. We stick it into a uh, an oven uh, pan or something that can go in the oven. Uh, drizzle it with olive oil, or would you say it's more than a drizzle? Or yeah, it's more than more a drizzle. Than a... a few drizzles, <laughs> a few more than a few drizzles. Uh, we we put some good olive oil on there, and then salt. And you kind of you know you put a lot of good salt on there. Yeah, nice salt, like nice salt, like kosher kosher salt, salt, right? Kind of a coarse ground salt, Uh, and then you stick it in the oven and bake it for. I mean, how long does it take? Ten minutes? Ten minutes? Maybe. Just it depends on the thickness of the fish. It doesn't take that long. Yeah, you you just have to watch it and not overdo it. But the good thing about the salmon is once you have it, once it's done. I mean, first of all, it's got that natural fatty, like the fat of the the, the salmon, kind of comes to the top, and it's. It's just this yummy deliciousness, just like butter. It's just, oh, it's so good. The fatter you have, the better. Right? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. really great. And you got to be careful because sometimes it's not uh, uh, filleted properly. There's still bones in there. We have run into a lot of bones typically in, in salmon. But, uh, you know, you cut a piece off, uh, I guess, going the same way as the grain of the fish so that when you have a piece of salmon on your plate, it actually, you got layers and you just, with your fork, you press down on one of the layers and it just comes right off. You know, it's like butter. I tell you, I tell you, it's just like butter. It is. It's wonderful. So uh, those are two of the things that we like to uh, to do during Lent, but we really haven't done but that. But we don't really do, I mean. We don't really do it all the time. We don't do a lot no. of salmon. We used to before we had kids, we'd eat it right. a lot. We're doing soup and beans and bread and eggs and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think so. And we'll get more into that aspect of Lent in a little bit. Um, but you also asked about fish at the time of Jesus and uh, tilapia. They used to have tilapia there in the Sea of Galilee where they would go fish. And tilapia is, it was actually brought over, and I can't remember the story exactly. Someone told me this not that long ago. I think tilapia was brought over here, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, tilapia is uh, very, uh, it's readily available. In, in the United States, it's a it's a it's a, a thick not a, a thicker coarser, it's a coarser yeah. fish. It's a harder fish. If you actually yeah, feel I the fillets, it's a harder fish. I like the texture of it. And we actually, uh, if we have tilapia, that's something that we would either pan fry or um, or bake stick in it. the oven, bake it, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, put some lemon on there, and I mean a lot of good stuff. So tilapia is a very good fish, and also it's very very <laughs> inexpensive. Yep. Very inexpensive. So tilapia, good recommendation there. Uh, you had asked also, I think, about no meat. And, you know, we, there's a book that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, as I mentioned, I think, at the beginning of the show, there's two books we're going to talk about. Here's the first one. It's called The Spirituality of Fasting by uh, Monsignor Charles Murphy, uh, who was at one point rector, I believe. Was he rector or president of the North American College in Rome, right, the seminary? the American seminary in Rome that prepares uh, men for for priesthood. And I've had a number of friends who've attended there, so that's really pretty awesome. He used to be the rector. Uh, it's, it's about rediscovering the Christian practice of fasting, and I'm going to talk about that uh, today. But he does mention this in the very beginning of the book, actually, uh, where he talks about his own definition or how he defines the religious practice of fasting, okay? Because a lot of times today... You have people who fast, you know, dieting is one thing, and uh, some people may fast because of health reasons or health concerns, or they're trying to be more healthy, so they fast for health reasons. 
Um, and, and what he stresses, and Pope Benedict XVI recently has stressed as well, actually last Lent, uh, 2009, he did, uh, that there is a striking difference, right? There is a big distinction between uh, fasting for health reasons or dieting and the religious reasons for fasting. Uh, so we talked about that, and then he makes this comment. This, this pertains directly toward uh, our, uh, yeah, it pertains to Lent. Okay, he says, looking around a restaurant on any Friday in America, for instance, you could almost tell who the Catholics were by what they had on their plates. Fish on Friday and fasting during Lent and before major feasts created a whole rhythm of life among Catholics, even in countries where the laws were less strictly observed. And that he's talking about just how it used to be, how it used to be, right, uh, as a Catholic. And this is going back before uh, Vatican II. It was, uh, it, it, was, it was a characteristic of uh, Catholicism, and people could recognize that you're Catholic by what you were eating on a Friday in a restaurant. Anyway, I mean, right? any, during any time. Right. I mean, it wasn't just during Lent, right. because at that point in time, you were supposed to fast or abstain from meat on Fridays uh, all throughout the year. Right. I mean, I, I know growing up in Catholic schools, I didn't have, we never were served meat on Friday. I don't remember. I think I blocked out all my Catholic school cafeteria experiences. I don't know if they if that's changed today. That would be interesting to know. But I don't know. I mean, we have we know families who still abstain from meat every Friday. Every Friday, and the bishops have actually recommended that. Right, and and we'll talk more about that shortly. Uh, but the whole thing about meat, you know, it really today doesn't make sense not to eat meat on Friday. And I have I've I've Googled this question and really haven't come up with uh, a, 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 like a suitable answer. That I I have come to some conclusions myself, but uh, basically, if you read any, any documents from the bishops, which I will share with you shortly, um, or any kind of books that advocate fasting or abstinence from from foods, uh, it's going to say that the preferred abstinence is from red meat. But it doesn't really go into why. You know, why is that the case? Uh, so, but think about this. This is, once again, if you listen to the Mardi Gras episode, we talked about Mardi Gras and Carnival and what it's all about. This may have been right before Ash Wednesday. But uh, we talked about the fact that uh, Carnival, Mardi Gras, right? Carnival means goodbye meat, right? Mm-hmm. Carne being meat and vale, the old uh, Latin expression for goodbye. So goodbye meat. Uh, but if you think back into the you know the early centuries of the church, um, and and it, goodness gracious, even up until until uh, last century, the eighteen hundreds, the the days before uh, refrigeration and the ability to transport um, uh, food or cargo anywhere in the world in a short period of time before those before those uh, times, uh, what were you going to do? You have meat, you have butter, you have eggs, you have all this stuff that you can't eat during Lent. What are you going to do with all of it? You know, you have to get rid of it. So what they would do is throw a party or throw many parties for carnival and they would eat everything they were supposed to get rid of. And uh, then they go into Lent with full bellies, but those bellies get empty pretty pretty quickly. And they they fast and abstain during the, the 40 days of Lent. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole point. And uh, red meat was one of the things. And, and why it was red meat at that time, I don't know. Although some uh, theory that I read recently said that uh, the food of the poor didn't include meat, 
And so uh, in trying to, I guess, level the playing ground or the playing field, um, instead of, instead of uh, living it up, right, for everybody to be able to practice Lent, uh, you gave up meat so that everybody, in a sense, is kind of equal in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a communal fast during Lent. It's something we all do as Christians. So I think that is, uh, is part of it. Uh, why not fish? Because fish is not considered uh, red meat. It's not considered red meat. So uh, because of that, you can eat fish. Uh, some places, though, actually, and I can't remember where it was. It goes, he goes into it in this book. I can't remember uh, where exactly it was, but they, they were not allowed, to, or maybe it was just the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, the Eastern churches. They would, they, you, you had to abstain from fish, too. You couldn't eat fish, but that did not include shellfish. Hmm. And okay. you had you had to you had to abstain from beer and wine, but one guy kind of made a, a comment about that. He goes, "So what you're saying is, I can drink Jack Daniels and eat lobster all of Lent, and I'm okay." <laughs> it's like uh, I think I think Gosh. that kind of misses the point. You know, I think that kind of misses the point. So um, anyway, interesting questions, and I think today for us, I mean, especially down in South Louisiana, seafood is so readily available. It's it's everywhere, and we love it. It's, it's part, of a, part of life for us. So for us to go to a seafood restaurant or to bring seafood home on Friday and, and cook it and kind of live it up, so to speak, with seafood instead of red meat really makes no sense when you come to think about what Lent is all about, why this fasting, why this, um, this abstinence from, from red meat. But what I will say is that even though it doesn't make sense, it's still an act of obedience. Right. And I think that plays a huge part for for us today um you know there are examples in the old testament and the new where uh the prophets in the old testament for instance would tell somebody go do this and in order to be healed for instance and uh and it made no sense to do what was it uh the ethiopian uh uh i can't remember if it's like a, a diplomat or or um envoy and he was contracting, I can't, all the details are fuzzy right now, but was it, I don't know if it was leprosy or some kind of skin disease. And he went, I believe it was Elijah, went to the prophet Elijah. Elijah told him, go and bathe in some river. I can't remember, I really can't remember the details. Go bathe in some river seven times. Well, he thought at first is ridiculous. Why am I going to, if I bathe once, I'm clean. Why do it seven times? So he went back and forth. But anyway, his servant ended up convincing him to go back and to bathe seven times, and sure enough, he was healed. You know, you have the example in the uh, the New Testament, which I just had, and I think I've lost it. I just thought of it, and then I think I lost it. I can't remember. Oh, well, anyway, anyway, there's examples of that, right? Obedience. So even if it doesn't make sense for us today to give up meat on Fridays and eat fish, uh, if we do it in a spirit of obedience because that's what the church asks of us, then I think that that is, uh, that is definitely something to do. You know, it's, it's a good thing to do uh, because we, we do it out of obedience. Now, also, you know, we're encouraged by the bishops to, to do this, this fasting, this abstinence, um, in the right spirit. In other words, the rules that they give us, the regulations they give us are really the bare minimum. Uh, matter of fact, he talks about this in in this book. Um, what page is that? Page uh, eighteen. 
he talks about in this book. These are the uh, actual current practices of fasting in the uh, in the church. Um, you know where you have to you can have one meal on Friday or on a fast day. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Good mm-hmm. Friday and also uh, Ash Wednesday. You can have one meal, right? Meatless, uh, and then you can have two smaller meals or, or snacks, so to speak, that together can equal the one meal, right? Right. Now, when you think about it, that's really probably even more than what I eat every day. Really? I mean, for the most part, because I eat dinner, I, I usually have very little for lunch. Normally, it's just circumstantial because I'm at school, and uh, I have coffee for breakfast. So it's it's, it's okay. missing the spirit. It's the, it, matter of fact, you know, and and uh, he talks about this uh, also in the spirituality of fasting, but. Um, you know, th- before Vatican II, there were very strict regulations on fasting, what it meant, what you were supposed to do, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. In 1966, the U.S. bishops wrote a letter on penance. And uh, what it was trying to do, right, the purpose of this letter was to try to rescue fasting from legalism because people were splitting hairs over what they could do and they couldn't do and they were totally missing the point. So they're trying to rescue fasting from legalism and, uh, and the minimalism that, that, uh, that people were approaching penance with. And, and this is what uh, Monsignor Charles Murphy has to say about this. He says, while this document paid tribute to the ancient penitential practices, it asserted that they did not fit easily into the circumstances in which people live today. It suggested that the practice of the virtue of penance today could be translated, for example, into faithfulness to our occupational duties, acceptance of the vexations that accompany our work environment every day, and patient enduring of the trials of modern life with all its insecurities in addition to the traditional practices, right? In addition to the traditional practices. The Constitution goes on to recommend voluntary self-chosen penances such as works of charity on behalf of the poor, as complements to or even substitutes for fasting. The old custom of giving things up for Lent thus became disparaged as something negative while doing things for others was seen as positive. Now, that's, that's the outcome of the document. That, that's not the goal of the document. The document didn't want to do that. But once the document came out, that's kind of how we took it. That's kind of how people in general took it. Oh, they're focusing now on acts of charity and not really on acts of sacrifice cool so i can eat whatever i want or eat however much i want um and and i don't have to abstain you know all you know i can't remember how long it used to be now but you know now i mean abs- uh, to abstain from all food and drink before receiving the eucharist we only have to do it for one hour right you know, it used to be from like midnight until whenever you received Went. right the eucharist you know um we don't I mean, in the western church we don't have that anymore we just have to abstain from food for, for or fast from food for one hour right you know so anyway the whole point of the document was to to get rid of the legalism get rid of all the the rules but it strongly encouraged that we we continue to sacrifice and to do acts of penance out of a spirit of um uh from the heart really from the heart so that's something to uh to think about as we approach Lent. But I'm going to stop talking about this book right now. 
uh, this, I just scratched the surface of what I wanted to say about it. It's really an excellent, excellent book. Uh, but John and I have something else that we're going to be talking about in just a minute. Well, I know that uh, during Lent we typically don't hear bells, but that's just liturgically, and this is not a liturgy. So I'm playing that bell bumper right up front is to call us kind of to prayer, to, to think about what we're uh, about to, uh, to talk about here. <clears throat> but last episode, episode 62, we talked about a book called The Power of Small Choices, and we're, we're going to do a, a Lenten journey here with that book um, to, to kind of uh, to, to grow during this Lenten season. So, honey, what what's uh, what, what's on the agenda as far as this book goes today? Well, first, just as a reminder, if anybody didn't hear the last show where we introduced it, the book is based on two movies: The Shawshank Redemption and Babette's Feast. And um, so, The Shawshank Redemption, which we just Rewatched, right? Watched it Friday, Friday night. Whew, Ooh, that it's was heavy. heavy. But it was so good. It's so hard to so watch until the last like ninety seconds, which are just brilliant. Um, it's a great movie, and then Babette's Feast, which is really delightful if you haven't seen it. And the kids and I watched that last um, last week. Wednesday, or and Thursday. I have to say, I I've seen it, I had seen it twice before, and I could have sworn the whole, whole thing was in black and white. Right, that's what I remember. And it's in color, and it's <laughs> actually it was um, made in 1987, which just blows my mind because I thought it was an old movie made in I don't know decades ago, not you know. Well, actually, that was decades ago, but it was. longer than that, <laughs> more than 20 years ago, you know? Right. Um, so, anyway, well, I don't know where you um, want to go, Boo. Well, we introduced it the other uh, last uh, last episode, last week, and we also, um, I, I put a, an episode out on uh, Wednesday, not an episode, a blog post on Wednesday, and what I was trying to do is to put that post out in the middle of the week so that people who want to join with us can look at the questions and kind of reflect and, and see what's, um, you know, what, what, uh, what we're going to talk about today and hopefully to make comments themselves and, and join in the, uh, the discussion. You know, that was the, the hope. Uh, I, I didn't receive any comments, though. <laughs> Uh, However, I did receive a couple of uh, tweets. I know that there are people out there who did actually go and buy the book, so that's great. Uh, Matter of fact, I put this in that post, but I'll also tell you right now, uh, the book is available uh, online with the Daughters of St. Paul, which is at pauline.org, and it's only $2.00. It's on sale for two dollars, so that's. I think I paid. I don't know twelve for mine. It's on sale for two. Uh, so there is a link if you go to catholicfoodie dot com and look at the uh, foodie. What did I call it? Uh, f- uh, foodie fiction or something? Uh, Lenten journey. 
with Foodie Fiction, uh, go to that post. It's the one right at the top. Uh, you'll find a link in there to the pauline.org, the exact page where that book is located for $2. I'm pretty amazed by that. So um, anyway, this is the, the, uh, the, the format. Uh, we're supposed to watch, if possible, to rewatch uh, a three-and-a-half-minute segment of Babette's Feast. And today we're just going to focus on Babette's Feast. Next episode, we're going to talk about Shawshank. Uh, but this one scene was uh, at the table toward the end. It's chapter 14 of the, uh, uh, of, of the DVD. And it's at the end of the, the movie, toward the end of the movie, almost at the end, uh, where they're sitting down to the huge meal that Babette has prepared. And uh, it's just interesting to see the reaction of the villagers to this feast. I mean, this is before – it starts before the food is even served. I think it starts right when the sherry is being poured and they had just been seated. But, Char, you know, it's been a while since I saw that movie and you saw it just the other day. Um, but from the standpoint of food, it seems that it kind of – it presents to us two different views, two different approaches, I guess, to to food. Okay. Do you, can I, I? I can tell. But I mean, this. Oh is, yeah, you can talk okay. about. It. Yeah, sure. So spoiler, spoiler, spoiler warning. alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, it's just because I mean, it's it's the point of the whole movie, right? You know, um, but it's it's simply fantastic. I mean, you have the general who shows up kind of as a last minute thing it's it's involved how he um how he gets there but um there's some background that it's too much to get into but why he comes but he comes last minute and he uh is the character that kind of changes the whole outlook of the the meal um the villagers have um followed in the 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 daughter's dad who died right, the, who was the, the head, pastor the, yeah the pastor's who was very strict and stern <laughs> and, off, yeah uh, lived a, a, an extremely ascetical life and uh, advocated that for his whole flock. Uh, flock right and so they you know Babette decides that she wants to prepare an authentic French meal for them and they are simply because she's won the lottery. And so they're they're <laughs> they're scared. They really fear fear for their souls. Right. Um when they start seeing like the sea turtle come in and the you know the the live um quail and anyway, they feel like this is going to be over the top and then the alcohol and um so they they're petrified. And so they've basically promised each other not to comment at all about the meal. Um, so it, I think it would have played out a little bit differently had the general not been there. Um, but his comments, I mean, he is just, mm. he is savoring it. Um, he is enjoying it. He's just astounded by the quality of the food and the, the wine and the champagne and the, mm-hmm you know, the sherry and, um, but each course that comes out, I mean, he is just, he's, his face is aglow and the, the villagers are trying their hardest not to, you know, not to, Comment not to say anything, but, um, anyway, it changes them. 
You know, see what happens when a foodie comes into the room, you know, with a bunch of non-foodies. You just can't help it. It's the power of the foodie. That's right. I mean, he cha- <laughs> it, it changes them, though. So, um, I mean, how do I just keep telling well, you? I mean, we, you know, what's the, the point? So the two different, yeah. So the two different views, I guess, are um, two different views of food. I guess one is just you eat in order to live, to live, like the right. the grumpy. Uh, old lady said mm-hmm. you, you eat in order to live and it's a very uh stern and there's a word for it that i can't uh think of right now um i can't think of it anyway very stern sort of approach to life and to food that it's everything's serious right everything mm-hmm. is serious and uh you, well there's you no pleasure there's no pleasure that's right that's matter right. of fact when they first get around the when they first get around the uh, uh the table one of the guys there says, you know, remember, we have lost our taste. Right. And it's like, uh, that, that's, their, that's their approach. We have lost our taste. And in, in a way, I guess you could say, you know, they have, they have striven throughout their lives to uh, subdue the body and its pleasures. And uh, that would, you know, definitely include food. So they've pushed all that down and... In a way, they're they're happy and they're congratulating themselves about it. We have lost our taste, mm-hmm. and that's good, right? It's almost kind of a, a stoic thing, right? Completely, you know? actually. So, I and, mean, that, and contrast his, that with yeah, the general, you know, and his and 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 then they they all warm up to it, basically. Um, Probably because of the sherry and the wine and the champagne. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and the uh, and the general. That's right. So everyone, you know, basically all the, the, the these conversations start to um, take place between people who had relationships, you know, that were um, broken, you know, just over the years through grudges and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So it warmed them up to, um, you know, for healing in that in those relationships and um, true joy, you know. And so it, it, I don't know. I mean, it it, was, it became a celebration, whereas right, before right. it was supposed to be a celebration. But had it been left up to them, nothing. I happen. mean, it would have been miserable, you know. Right, right. And and so the reflection question basically said that you know there's two different views of food that is given, and the question to reflect on is kind of like you know is one more Christian than the other, because one is all about sacrifice. It's about abstinence and fasting and giving up and eating just to live and kind of without giving a thought to what you eat and remember that eating is more than just eating you know that that's i guess kind of the point here with the catholic foodie too it's not just about the food it's not just about eating eating is sort of uh symbolic or is kind of like an image of things that happen in our lives uh the way that we approach life the way that that uh, that we experience life, whether we reflect on life, how much of life do we actually digest, or how much has gone by the wayside? Right? We I've talked before about the fact that the act of eating is so important in the Bible, because sin enters the world through eating in Genesis, and so does salvation. Salvation, we obtain salvation through eating in the Eucharist, and then of course in in Revelation we talk about the the uh, uh, the banquet. Right, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where you're eating. So, I mean, eating is so important. And how much of life do we actually eat? So, it's not just the food. 
so do we eat to live or the general's perspective would be more like like what? Uh, I mean, I, mean, I don't uh, think it's, uh, you know. I wouldn't say it's the exact it's the opposite. opposite. No. I wouldn't say that he's trying to. No, he's just eat, enjoying. Live to so, eat. Something Did I say good. live to eat earlier? Eat to live. I wouldn't say, yeah, it's something to enjoy. He savors it. He 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 relishes it. He um, he experiences it. And he, and he knows what he's, he's got an appreciation for it and kind of knows what it is he's experiencing. Well, it's a gift, too. I mean, it's a. You know, he yeah. he's there for a celebration, and it's a gift, and it's, um, he, you know, he's sharing it with others as right. well. Right. He's yeah, not so that's, in his room by himself eating. That's very, uh, <laughs> right, he's not by himself eating. That's right. Um, so the gospel, uh, I, I guess the question is, for me, if I said that one is more Christ, Christian than the other, I would say that the general was more Christian than the other because he doesn't spurn in a stoic sort of way creation. Rather, he acknowledges the gift of creation, he acknowledges the goodness of creation, and he can allow himself to enjoy that goodness and to experience the pleasure of creation without guilt? allowing that, well, without guilt, but without allowing that to um, ensnare him, mm-hmm. right? To where he, in a sense, becomes addicted to that kind of pleasure. Rather, he can appreciate it and, in, in a way, give thanks to God, and, and, and that's it. He enjoys it. He relishes it. He savors it. Whereas the villagers live in fear mm-hmm. of the pleasures of life. And I would say even even the, the, the goodness of creation, mm-hmm. right? They're more like Stoics. Mm-hmm. Would that be a fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. And uh, so the 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 uh, the readings that were given to us uh, t- today come from uh, Luke and Matthew. And do you think that I have time to read these? Real I quick? guess you can. Uh, we're, we're running out of time, but um, I have a bookmark here. Uh, but if you look at the first one, I'm gonna read. I think is from Matthew because that's uh, the one that um, where did I where did it go? Oh, here here it is. All right, this is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. It's on effective prayer. And it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. Everyone who knocks will have the door opened. Is there anyone among you who would hand his son a stone when he asks for bread? Or would hand him a snake when he asks for a fish? If you then, evil as you are, know how to give your children what is good, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I think there again you see that goodness of creation. You see the goodness of God in creation, right? And you can take pleasure in that. Uh, The second uh, reading is a little bit longer. Uh, It's Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 31. Uh, Then he told them a parable. There was once once a rich man who having had a good harvest from his land, thought to himself, What am I to do? I have not enough room to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and goods in them, and I will say to my soul, My soul, you have plenty of good things laid up, laid by for many years to come. Take things easy, eat, drink, and have a good time. But God said to him, Fool, 
This very night the demand will be made for your soul, and this hoard of yours, whose will it be then? So it is when someone stores up treasure for himself instead of becoming rich in the sight of God. Then he said to his disciples, That is why I am telling you not to worry about your life and what you are to eat, nor about your body and how you are to clothe it. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Think of the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storehouses and no barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more are you worth than the birds? Can any of you, however, or however much you worry, add a single cubit to your lifespan? If a very small thing is beyond your powers, why worry about the rest? Think how the flowers grow. They never have to spin or weave, yet I assure you not even Solomon in all his royal robes was clothed like one of them. Now if that is how God clothes a flower which is growing wild today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he look after you who have so little faith? But you must not yet but you must not set your hearts on things to eat and things to drink, nor must you worry. It is it is the Gentiles of this world who's, who set their hearts on all these things. Your Father well knows that you need them. No, set your hearts on His kingdom, and these other things will be given you as well. So how can you relate that to... Well, the, to the movie, it reminds me of Babette, mm-hmm. because basically she won, you know, a, a large sum of money, mm-hmm. and... Um, she spent it all on on this one meal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sisters were were you know in shock when they realized that she had given them everything. you know spent everything. Um, but she didn't store up any anything for herself. She just you know it could be looked at as maybe you know foolish. You know what I mean from the outside, but she, um, well, these sisters had had taken her in when she had nothing, so she really does have great faith in, you know, and just trusting that mm-hmm. God will continue to take care of her. Um, so, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think um, it, it's a very Catholic thing. You know, it's a very Catholic thing. I remember Adolfo uh, Rodriguez, who was on the show a few episodes back. Uh, telling the story of a of a meal he had with his wife in New Orleans at this restaurant, and he said it was so good. He said that they were they found themselves talking about how that how much they wished that so and so and so and so was there with them just to to experience it to to experience the joy of it, right? You know, and so and so and so and so, and they they wished that they had a big table with all their friends around it, so that everybody could enjoy it. And it's very Catholic, I think. You know, you want everybody to be part of the family of God. You want everybody to be uh, to, to to have the joy that you have in in the in the life that you have with God. You know, I think the same thing is happening here with this meal. You want people there. You want a feast. You mm-hmm. want a feast, and you want you want to share that feast with everybody else. A feast is. I mean, you don't just sit and have a feast, right, by yourself. You know. Yeah, you know, and and uh, once again to mention this book, The Spirituality of Fasting, one more time, uh, because it does have a, a really awesome conclusion, a point that I'm going to make here in a second. Um, he mentions that, how awkward it is for anybody who's ever eaten at a restaurant by themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of an awkward feeling. Like, what do you do? 
you know. Right. I know that, you know, by necessity in the past, I've had to do that and I always bring a book. Mm-hmm. And when I was working in the restaurant business years and years ago, I would see people come in to eat by themselves and nine times out of ten, they had a book. Right. Because you got to do something. It's awkward. I mean, you're supposed to be there with people. Although I haven't done that in like a long, long, long time, but I did. Right. You know, when I was working yeah. or. Yeah. But now so I, it's, it's I, I don't ever. <laughs> and, and, you know, the whole point about this book on fasting and fasting, I'm telling you, I, I tell you right now that the, the, the whole concept, the whole thought of fasting, if I can say that there's any one thing that God's been saying to me recently, it's that. It's the importance of fasting, and not just because I'm reading this book, although I think that may have an important part to play in it, but everywhere I turn, it seems the, 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 the word and the concept of fasting is being presented to me. So I'm trying to take that message to heart. Awesome. And the reason, the reason though, is it, and the, the, the thing to keep in mind here, and the reason why I named this episode uh, Fasting for the Feast is the fact that, you know, we don't fast for fasting's sake. Right. And I think that's kind of where the sisters were and the villagers there in Babette's Feast. They were fasting for fasting's sake or living a life shunning the world mm. simply for the sake of shunning the world. Right. Uh, whereas what we're really created to do, and, and when you talk about fasting, you're fasting for a purpose. You're fasting for the feast. We have Lent. The only reason we have Lent is because of Easter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're Lent, we don't have Lent just to have Lent. We're, we're not living 40 days of sacrifice just for the purpose of having 40 days of sacrifice. We're living this, we're going through this time of sacrifice for a reason. We're going through it to experience Easter. Mm-hmm. In the same way, we go through this life suffering and, and, and making sacrifices and giving up. And sacrifice, by the way, is, is part and parcel of love. You cannot love and without sacrifice. So you're living a life of sacrifice for what? To get to the feast of heaven, right? To get to the feast of heaven. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, I think that's, that's kind of the point is to feast, to fast. Uh, matter of fact, he says in the, la- in the very big, the very last uh, section of the book, the very last chapter, which is only a few pages long, and it's called fasting and feasting, the spirituality of fasting, right? Uh, he says, you know, it's appropriate in a book on the Christian practice of fasting to end with feasting. As we have seen, Christian fasting is not based upon a distaste for food as such as a dangerous luxury or upon a hatred of our bodily selves and self-punishment. We fast to feast. Regarding the basic human act of eating as a thoughtless refueling exercise is to demean human life and to deprive us and to deprive us of its pleasure. And then a little further down, he says, To put it another way, the human act of eating, if it is truly human, is a conscious one. We choose what we eat. We appreciate it with thanksgiving. Jesus chose to commemorate himself in a meal, which later Christians would call agape, love, right, the Eucharist. For food draws us together. If you've ever eaten alone in a restaurant, you know how unnatural an experience this is. This commemorative feast of love is also called Eucharist, giving thanks. Because the act of eating opens us up to God who holds, who opens his hands and fills all his creatures with good things. It is not at all inappropriate, uh, therefore, for our future life of the resurrection to be depicted as a heavenly banquet where food is plentiful and the wine inexhaustible. 
and of the finest vintage. This is the return to paradise that Christ made possible. So there you have it, folks. A little word there from the Catholic foodie and his bride. <laughs> uh, some thoughts on Babette's feast and our Lenten journey uh, with uh, through through uh, that movie and the Shawshank Redemption this Lent and thinking about small choices, right? The power of small choices. Uh, and also the spirituality of fasting. I will be speaking a little bit more on the spirituality of fasting next episode. This is an excellent book. I'm going to put a link in the show notes of where you can get this book. Um, you can go, I believe they have it at AquinasAndMore.com. AquinasAndMore.com. I'll put a link in the show notes there at CatholicFoodie.com. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? That's right, Jamie. Just don't forget to fast, right? you got to fast for the feast. <laughs> got to fast for the feast. Uh, well, that's it, folks, for us here. I just want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, ruby.com. You need to go over to catholic.ruby.com, and ruby is R-O-U-X-B-E, catholic.ruby.com, and uh, sign up there for a 14-day free trial. Give you full access there to uh, Ruby, the online cooking school, and you can try your hand there at... Uh, at learning uh, more or honing your skills or improving your skills there in the kitchen. And please uh, don't forget to let me know how you like it and let me know uh, what you think and whether or not you're growing from that. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, Also, the CNMC, the Catholic New Media Celebration, is coming up in August of this year, August 7th. Uh, Friday the 6th, I think some of the festivities will begin, but officially it is only one day long, and it'll be on the 7th, Saturday, August 7th. So you can go over to celebration.sqpn.com for more information. And uh, I'd love to know also if you're going to be there. Char and I, with uh, by the grace of God, are going to go. We just uh, got to figure out how that's going to happen first. But we, <laughs> we're planning on being there. Um, also, uh, please uh, do check out catholicfoodie.com, especially for this Lenten Reflection Series. And uh, I, I invite you, please, to uh, enter into the conversation. Uh, even if you haven't seen the movies, uh, you might be able to find something online that gives you a synopsis, um, and you can look at uh, you can look at the um, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, you can look at the at the questions for reflection and whatnot there at CatholicFoodie.com. Well, just see and the just, movies. Just, if or you, you can just see the just movies. See the movies. Yeah, just see the movies. You don't have to have the book. You can just look at the questions for yeah, reflection. Yeah, just but see the movies. To, Definitely see them. Yeah, but join in conversation with us. Let us know what you think. Give us your reflections. Uh, how does it speak to you about the power of small choices and how you're living Lent? And how does uh, fasting and sacrifice play into feasting for you? We'd love to hear all this. And you can get in touch with us, first of all, leaving voice feedback uh, at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Uh, you can also email me at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Uh, visit the website, catholicfoodie.com, and you can comment there on the posts we have for uh, Babette's Feast and Shawshank Redemption as we move through Lent. And uh, you'll also find those posts uh, duplicated over on the Catholic Foodie Facebook page. So if you're more comfortable with Facebook, just go over to the Catholic Foodie Facebook page. 
There are links to that, by the way, at catholicvoodie.com. And, uh, and engage in conversation with us. We want to hear you. We want to hear what you have to say. Is there anything else, hon? Am I forgetting anything? Well, that's it for us, folks. And until next time, bon, bon appétit. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.